You're listening to the sermon podcast from Meadowbrook Church in Cheyenne, Wyoming, with Pastor Keith Miller. We're looking at Romans chapter 10. We're going to look at uh, verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Israel says, Lord, who has believed what, has, what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words into the, uh, to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. And then Isaiah says so boldly, or as is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Father, I just ask that you would open our hearts today to your word as we think through and, and, and pray over what, what does it mean to be the church in, in Cheyenne and Wyoming and in our nation and in the world. God, we want to be ambassadors of your son. We want to be those that you are sending uh, into the world to bring the gospel which is the only hope of our nation, to this world. So God, just speak to our hearts, um, open our eyes, open our ears to, to, to hear what it is that you want us to hear. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So how many of you have heard of William Carey? Okay, so William Carey is a famous missionary, lived uh, in the 1700s into the 1800s. He grew up in an obscure rural rural village in England, and uh, after becoming a Christian, he could not reconcile what, uh, he couldn't reconcile what he was reading in his Bible regarding the mission of the church and the call of the church to go and make disciples of all nations that Jesus had commanded of his, of his church. He couldn't reconcile what he was reading in his Bible with what he was seeing in, his, in, in the churches surrounding him. There were very few, if any, missionaries that were being sent out of the churches to the nations that had not yet, or at that time, had not yet been, been penetrated with the gospel, had not uh, heard the gospel. And so, uh, as a way of trying to stir uh, the church in, 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 in England and, and in the world, he wrote a little book, an inquiry into the obligations of Christians to use means for the conversation, or no, for the conversion of the heathens, which that's, a, that's one that will, you know, win people over. I, I, you know, I buy books sometimes because of titles. If I saw that, I probably wouldn't buy it. Um, not knowing any, if I didn't know anything about it. And uh, he started a, a group of people, he organized a group of people to think through what missions might look like. He uh, preached a sermon that, uh, 
out of that sermon came a phrase that was, became very popular and, and is good. And uh, it's, it basically is this, expect, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Uh, he, you know, just, just how we've worked through Romans, you know, over the, the last, I don't know, month, you know, we looked at Romans 8, got into Romans chapter 9. Uh, William Carey and myself, we're on the same page in terms of what, what those passages are teaching, what those scriptures are teaching. And it was because of that, he was, he, he was compelled to, to do something about the nations that have not heard the gospel uh, uh, yet. So he voiced his thoughts. He, he kept feeling the stirring to go to 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 foreign nation, particularly India, within a uh, with a group of other Christians uh, that he, you know, I, I believe respected. And after he shared that, one of the guys, an older man, stood up and said, "Young man, sit down. You're an enthusiast. When God ple- when when God pleases to convert the heathens, He'll do it without consulting you or me." Which was. Not acceptable to William Carey. So what did he do? In 1793, he sailed for India, uh, where he labored for seven years before seeing the first convert and spent 41 years in India without a furlough. 41 years. And uh, while in India, he translated the Bible into six different major languages in India, uh, he spoke against some of the injustices that were happening in India as an ambassador of Jesus Christ, like uh, the women being burned, uh, the wives of, of, the, of their deceased husbands being burned while they're alive. He spoke against that. During his time in India, he suffered the deaths of two wives and three of his seven children. And... Uh, the question that you know I him that you should be asking is what inspired him? Like what, what kept him going? What was what sustained him besides God? What what sustained him over those years? He made this statement. He said, When I left England, my hope of India's conversion was very strong. But amongst so many obstacles, it would die unless upheld by God. Well, I have God and his word is true. Though the superstitions of the heathen were a thousand times stronger than they are, the example of the Europeans a thousand times worse, though I were deserted by all and persecuted by all, yet my faith fixed on that sure word would rise about all obstacles and overcome every trial. God's cause will triumph. So what sustained him? The sovereign uh, power and grace of God, like that, that God was bigger than, than everything that was happening in, in William Carey's world, and he was bigger than the, the number of, uh, the phrase he used was heathens or pagans in, the, in India as a nation. He, God was bigger than that, and that's what encouraged him, inspired him to sail to India. That's what kept him there for over 40 years, and, uh, and he, he was there until, until his death. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God.
That was his motto. And that motto became the motto of the modern missions movement that inspired guys like Adoram Judson. He wanted to go to India, but India's borders were closed, so he was forced to go to Burma. At the time, that's what it was known as Burma. Now, uh, most countries call it and understand it to be Myanmar. Uh, that's what inspired Hudson Taylor to go to China. That's what inspired David Livingston to go to, uh, to, to Africa. All places that the gospel had not yet uh, fully penetrated. These men were encouraged, emboldened uh, to, to go to these, to these nations, expecting great things from God and uh, striving to accomplish great things for God. You know, so I mean, think about that. If God is who he is, and he has called us to be his people and to follow his son Jesus, what limits are there in Cheyenne? What limits are there in Wyoming? What limits are there in, 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 in our nation? And so I want to look at these verses, uh, the, and I, there's two principles that, that flow out of uh, verses 14 through 21, and the first is this, that God always uses his word and his spirit to create life. I'm going to explain what I mean by that, okay? But he always uses the authority of his word preached or proclaimed and the power of his spirit to generate and create life when, when and where life never existed before. So how many of you have uh, done a re recent road trip? Right. During that road trip, did you ever take a, the scenic route? Right? You, you could choose to go the scenic route, which is typically longer, or you could just use Google Maps and find the fast, fastest way to get there. Right? Um, I'm not much of a scenic route person unless I'm on my bike and I'm pedaling. I, I, I'll, I'll take the long route because I want to see more. But, uh, but on occasion, we've taken the scenic route. And what I want to do as a way of... Uh, explaining Romans chapter 10 verses 14 through 21, I want to take the scenic route, if that's okay. I'm going to take the scenic route and then towards the, uh, like, uh, probably two-thirds of the way through in this sermon, we're going to take the scenic route and then the last third of my message will be we're going to, we're going to camp on Romans chapter 10 and I think you'll understand why uh, when we get to Romans 10 in, in, in a few minutes. And so the way I want to get there is I want to for, I want to do that by looking at Ezekiel uh, chapter 37. Okay, so if you have a Bible, you might want to turn open there because we're going to, we're going to camp there for a little bit. Uh, and before we, before we camp in Ezekiel 37, uh, I want to share a few other things that leading up to Ezekiel 37. Uh, when God created all that exists, how did he do it? He spoke it into existence, right? You read Genesis chapter 1, and it says, In the beginning, we're told, God created the heavens and the earth. And, and when he, he did that, he did it by speaking. He said, Let there be light, and there was light. And he did that for six days, and at the end of each day, it was very good, or it was good. And then when he created mankind, it was very good. Uh, we're told that in the very first two verses of Genesis, that in the beginning, uh, it, there was formless and void, and, and the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the deep. Uh, so whatever that is, I'm not entirely sure, but the Spirit of God was present uh, along with God the Father 
speaking or proclaiming or preaching over the, uh, over the void and his spirit was there and, and you had creation. That's Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And we see that theme all through the Bible. Anytime God does something, uh, where God, God generates life when life did not exist or creates out of nothing and, and creates something, uh, he does it through the power of his, of, of his spirit and the proclamation of his word, the speaking of his word. This is really important. Uh, this is why I believe so strongly in the preaching of God's word as it, as it has its place in our gathering together on, on Sunday or whatever day you know, churches gather together. God always uses his word and his spirit to create life. And, uh, I mean, we see that over and over again. So then we come to Ezekiel chapter 37, and there's this really interesting, there's this really interesting story that we uh, are introduced to, that we, that we come across here. And if you, if you have your Bible, what you'll see is this little title over top of uh, chapter 37 that will say something to the effect of the Valley of the Dry Bones. I, I mentioned that to Seth, and he's like, what? what, do you, what? Valley of Dry Bones? That sounds horrible. And, and so I want to read uh, what happened in this story. Like, I want to read this story, and I want you to follow along, and I'm going to explain something that, that I think you'll find helpful. I'm hoping that you'll find helpful. The, so verse 1, the hand of the Lord was upon me. So Ezekiel's talking here. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out into the spirit of the Lord, out in the spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of the, of the valley. So what's going on here is Ezekiel is having this vision, and in this vision, God places him in this valley, and in this valley, it's covered with not just bones, but dry bones, meaning they've been dead. These are human beings who have been dead for a very long time. Decomposure has, has long taken its toll. Uh, it's just bones, dry bones. And so he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And so, you know, how many of you have had, uh, a, you know, your teacher ask a question, you weren't sure what the answer, the correct answer to that question was, and you just came up with something very generic. I've done that, right? Something that you know is not wrong or, or, or right, it's just, you know, you, you, you've been called on, and so you've got to answer. I kind of feel like that's what's going on with Ezekiel. He says, son of man, <clears throat> son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. <laughs> you know the answer to that. I might not, but you know. Oh, Lord God, you know. And, uh, and he goes on, then he said to me, prophesy, preach, proclaim the word of God over these bones, and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live, and I will lay sinews upon you, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now, does that sound, I mean, that sounds almost like a horror story, right? 
I mean, envision that for a second. Just picture in your brain this, this place where it's just nothing but dry bones, and then as you're talking to the dry bones, as you're proclaiming the Word of God over the dry bones, uh, the stuff starts happening. Like flesh starts to cover the bones and, and, and ligaments and, and muscle tissue, and, like, and then the veins form and the, and the arteries and blood. I mean, like it sounds kind of gross to me. I don't know about you, but I, God did not call me to be a medical doctor. Like I, I get, I turn white when I see anything under the skin. Like I, 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 I remember the first uh, church I pastored. We were on a camping trip, and uh, one of the kids was skateboarding down a hill, and he fell, and he hit a piece of metal, and it, I was the first one there, unfortunately, and you could see the bone on his knee. And I, I, maybe I've shared this story, I don't know, but he, he was there and, and I was consoling him with my face pointing this way, the opposite direction of his knee, telling him, it's going to be okay. <laughs> I'm not sure I will be, but it will be okay. So I'm not meant to be a medical doctor. And I, I read this and it sounds gross to me. And so what did Ezekiel do? He said, so I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound and behold, a rattling and the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, and, but there was no breath in them, meaning they were still dead. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain, that they may live. So what happens? He does that. He prophesied. He spoke the word of God as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Have, you, have any of you heard that story before? Have you read that story before, right? Uh, I love that story. One of the reasons why I love that story is because it is a metaphor of how the word of God functions in, in, in our world and in life in general. But here's the thing. Uh, it's easy to miss what's happening here. There is a Hebrew word. I'm going to give you a little Hebrew lesson. Uh, not that I excelled in Hebrew. I actually really sucked at it. I had to do Hebrew three times. Um, so, but this I know. Like, like this I know. There's, uh, so in Ezekiel 37, verse 1, the Hebrew word that's used for spirit is ruach. Okay, it's ruach. It's, 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 it can be translated wind. It can be translated spirit with lowercase s. And it's also used uh, to describe the spirit of God or the spirit of the Lord. Okay, ruach. Um, there's another word that uh, can mean breath. And, and it's nephi, or nephi. I might be mis mispronouncing a little bit. For anybody who is a Hebrew scholar watching or anybody in here, uh, I get a hall pass. So, there, so there's another word that's used for breath, all right? And when you go, when, when, when you look at Ezekiel 37 and, and look at the Hebrew word for, that's translated in, the Hebrew words that's translated in, in Ezekiel 37 as wind or breath, it's interesting. But if you take the word Ruach, every time it's used and translated spirit instead of wind, it sounds qu quite different. And I'm just going to show, show you this. 
prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause the Spirit, not the wind, the Spirit to enter you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you, and you will cause, and will cause flesh to come upon you, and, and to cover you with skin, and put the Spirit in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, this, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to its bone, and I looked, and behold, there was sinews on them, and, and flesh you know, had come upon them, and the skin that had covered them, but there was no spirit in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the spirit, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds. Or you could say four spirits, it could be translated, uh, or spirits. Ruach is not used in that passage. Breathe, breathe on these slain, and they, uh, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the spirit came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet exceedingly, uh, as an exceedingly great army. I don't know if I'm just being a nerd, and I just think that's really cool that, that, um, that the, the way Ruach and Nephi is used in this passage, but when I read it, this is what I hear. That the uh, only way dead bones can live is if God does something miraculous. Right? He's got to do something miraculous for dead bones to live. And um, what it reminds me of is that, the, that for the Spirit of God to move, the Word of God must be proclaimed. Not because God, you know, God is limited, it's because of the way God has chosen to generate new life. This is so important. So this is why William Carey's not-so-friendly, older guy who stood up and said God could save the heathen, you know, on his terms, he doesn't need you. Uh, true, he, doesn't need, he didn't need William Carey, but God was calling William Carey to be the voice of God in India because that was the only of the people of God or anybody was going to hear the gospel as if, a, as if, if one of the people of God or an ambassador of Jesus went and proclaimed the word of God. That was the only way. And the only way people were going to get saved is if they heard the gospel, which leads me to my se the second principle that comes out of this passage, and we'll work our way back into Romans chapter 10. Saving faith, saving faith always, always comes by hearing the word of Christ or the gospel. People will not hear the gospel by just watching the way you live your life. The way you live your life validates what comes out of your mouth. So if you're a jerk and an idiot and, and, and people can't stand you and you start talking about Jesus, guess what's going to happen? Nobody's going to listen to you. They probably, and they shouldn't. But, but if your life has been so transformed and changed and affected, remember we talked about that last week, that Jesus is not just your Savior, but he is Lord, and you feel that, and you feel that in such a way that it affects the way you live your life, and then you open your mouth, guess what? People will probably listen. They might not agree with you, they might not believe what's coming out of your mouth, but at least they'll listen to you. I, I said last week that if you really believe that Jesus 
rose from the grave and walked out of that tomb, it would be really difficult for you to walk out on your spouse or your family. Why? Because it, it, it will affect your life. It will affect the way you live your life. So there's another passage where the word ruach is used in Ezekiel 36, and some of you will probably recognize this passage. Let's read it together, okay? And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Have you heard that passage before? Yeah. You know what it's saying? It's saying that there's a day, Ezekiel was prophesying, that there's a day coming where, where God was going to do this work in the lives of his people, and that work could only happen through the person and work of his son, Jesus. It's called the New Covenant Promise. It's all over the Old Testament. And that's why when Jesus was celebrating or, or, or participating in the Passover meal uh, the night before he, would be, he were to be crucified, he held up a cup and he said, this cup is the New Covenant in my blood that's about to be poured out for many. Ezekiel 36 is one of those promises where God said, I'm going to do a work in the lives of people that only I can do, and that work entails removing the heart, the hard, stony hearts of people and replacing it with a heart of flesh and putting a new spirit in them so that they will, they will not only hear the gospel, but they will be changed by the gospel forever. You see? Is it start, are the dots starting to be connected a little bit here? So... So Ruach is used in that passage. But the question is, and this is the question Paul asks in verse 14. How then? How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Like Paul asks four rhetorical questions. I love asking rhetorical questions in my family, especially my kids. Like, are you going to do the dishes? Which really means you better do the dishes, right? Are you going to clean your room? Which means what? You better clean your room. Right? Any of you, you know, use that? Uh, it's a really great way to get people to think, especially your children. Like, there are consequences for not doing what you should be doing. Right? But Paul says, he asks these four rhetorical questions. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And related to us, how are they to preach unless they are sent? And he answers that question. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And he goes on to say, how beautiful are the feet of those who share good news or who preach the good news. And the, and the question we should be asking ourselves as we read through this passage is just how beautiful are, are our feet? Like I heard a story of... Uh, person who went from village to village, I believe this was actually in India, went from village to village and, uh, you know, sharing the gospel on foot, sharing the gospel with, with every person he came in contact with. And uh, he entered into one village and he got, he got, he got beat up really bad. And they, they drug him to a tree and left him there. And then when he woke up, he saw all these people of the village surrounding him. And he asked, well, why, why are you, why, what are you doing? And they said, well, uh, we didn't see your feet 
before, before we you know, beat you up. But now we see your feet, and we see that you have very beautiful feet. His feet were very worn. And, um, and so they said, please tell us the message that you came to tell us. And that's a true story. The question we should be asking ourselves is, how beautiful are our feet? And Paul, Paul says, you know, who's going to go? How are they going to hear if nobody is sent to them? Somebody's got to go. Why? Verse 17, because faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's how people hear the gospel. They, they, somebody tells them who Jesus is, they hear it, and what happens as a result? A miracle happens. You know, do you know what that miracle is? Faith. Faith. Faith that did not exist previously, somehow, miraculously, uh, came as a result. How? Because, because you heard the gospel. You heard the word of God proclaimed, and the Spirit of God did a work, and, the, and what generated as a result of that is faith in Him. I have, think about, for a moment, how many of you came to faith in Jesus later, like, like you weren't introduced to Jesus as a baby and growing up in a home, but you kind of, you, you heard about Jesus later, like maybe as a teenager, right? Now think about that moment. Think about the amount, of time, the amount of times you heard the gospel. How many of you heard it more than once? Right? And then at some point, you heard the gospel again, and it made sense to you. Why? Because a miracle happened. Because before faith, you were just one of the bones in that valley. You were just a valley of dry bones. And, and the word of God was proclaimed over you, and the spirit of God came, and guess what happened? Life happened. Life happened. Because all throughout the Bible, we read of a God who's in the business of creating something out of nothing. And bringing forth life when life did not exist. I mean, if, you, if you're wrestling with that a little bit, I'll just uh, take you back to Romans chapter 3, right? Which says... In verse 10, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, good not even one. And Ephesians chapter 2 says that uh, we follow the prince of the power of the air and we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then you get to verse 4. It says, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us, what? Alive. Alive in Christ. But how? How will those who have not heard hear? Well, God has ordained that his people be his mouthpiece and his hands and his feet to share the good news with those who have not heard it. Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. And then look at verse 20 in Romans 10. This is when I read verse 20, you know, what I, you know what I'm hearing every time I read verse 20? I'm hearing uh, something that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 9, and verses 25 through 26. So look at verse 20. I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Well, what does that mean? Meaning, I was found by those who were running from me. Well, how do you find the one you're running from? 
and I've shown myself to those who weren't asking for me. Well, how does that work? That only happens or that only works if, if, if the one who is not being sought after and the one who's not being asked about is the one who is pursuing the person running from him. And when I read that, I read, I read Hosea. Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in every place where it was said to, the, uh, to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the, of the living God. And the only way that will happen is if a miracle takes place. How do the spiritually dead become spiritually alive? The Spirit of God must stir, move, and create life where life did not exist through the preaching of, uh, of his word, through the preaching of the word of God. And guess what? You don't need somebody who's hired in a church to do that, right? We're all called to do that. Uh, newsflash, we're all evangelists. You might not have a, the gifting of an evangelist, but you're called to evangelize. How many of you know the gospel? All of you should be raising your hand right now, um, unless you really don't know. It, it, how many of you are Christians? Like, how many of you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Let's see. Your hand. Okay, so, yeah, all of you. So, you know the gospel. You know why you know it? Because it, it has affected you. And so now we're called to go into the world and tell people about it. And, uh, and we are the result of a God who pursued us and made us his. God must first find those who are not seeking him and show himself to those who are not asking for him. That's verse 20. That was me before I became a, a Christian. The story of the Bible, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was what? Lost. And who found me? God, or Jesus, you know. Same's true of, a, there's this Roman centurion, you may have heard of him, he's in the Bible, his name's uh, Cornelius. It's in Acts chapter 10. And, uh, and when, you, when we read that story in Acts chapter 10, God was working and stirring in Cornelius' heart. He was doing this amazing thing in Cornelius' heart. And, and, and Cornelius was, you know, he, he, was, he was searching. He just couldn't connect the dots. And, and God was interacting with him, and, and uh, we're told that Cornelius had a, this vision, like God spoke to him. He had this vision, and, and God spoke to him, but, but in that vision, God said to Cornelius, hey, you need to talk to Peter, this guy Peter. God didn't say, hey, let me, uh, tell, you, uh, let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you, let me tell you the gospel. Like, he could have done that, right? But he didn't. He said, I want you to talk to Peter. And this is how you can find him. And so that's what Cornelius did. And at the same time, Peter, Peter had this problem with Gentiles. Like he wasn't real happy with them. He wasn't like friendly with them. Even after he became a friend and dealing with him about like biases that God was working with him uh, and, and, and dealing with him about. Like he, God was stirring in his, in his heart. And so Peter had this vision uh, basically this huge blanket with all these different things that in the, the Old Testament called unclean. 
And, uh, and so when I, when I read the story, I kind of envision, you know, and this is not what Peter envisioned, but uh, this is what's in my brain, you know, pepperoni pizza, ham sandwich, uh, you know, ham, ham dinner on Christmas, uh, uh, shrimp, uh, clams, like all those were the things that the Hebrew people were told to stay away from. And so all these things were on the blanket and and uh, stretched out, and, and God said, hey, Peter, take and eat. And Peter said, no way, I'm not touching that stuff. And God said, don't call unclean. Like, what, what I'm, I have the right to call clean whatever I want to call clean, so don't call it unclean. And it was really a, a metaphor, it was a lesson to Peter. I created human beings in my image. So, so just because somebody's of a different ethnicity does not give you the right to look down on that person. That person's created in my image. And as soon as, the, uh, uh, as soon as that vision was over, a knock came on the door, and it was Cornelius' peeps, you know, his representatives, and, and they said, hey, Peter, can you come to Cornelius' house? He's not only a Gentile, he's also a Roman centurion. So not only, so he had several issues going on with, with, with Peter, and I'm wrapping this up here. He had several issues going on with, with Peter. You had interacting with a Gentile, and even worse, interacting with a Gentile who's a Roman centurion. So his reputation was at stake, and, and his biases, his pride was, was at stake. And so what did he do? He went, and he shared the gospel with Cornelius. Cornelius believed in Jesus, and you know who else believed? His entire household. His entire household was baptized that day, and, and it was amazing, and it, and, and it totally uh, blew up Peter's, or Peter's biases. And long before Peter and Cornelius' vision in Acts 10, God was already, already seeking the centurion before he even started asking. So if you go, I'm not, we don't have time to turn a whole lot of pages, but in Romans chapter 8, you want to know, you know why I know that? Because of what it says in Romans 8, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that that uh, he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. That's why Cornelius was asking questions. How then are they to call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear uh, without someone preaching? I'll tell you how. When, when, when God's people obey the call of God to go and share the gospel with people who do not yet know God. William Carey could sail to India expecting great things from God while attempting great things for God because he knew that there were Corneliuses in India that needed to hear the gospel. And you want to know something? There are Corneliuses in Cheyenne that need to hear the gospel. And there are Corneliuses in Wyoming that need to hear the gospel. And there are Corneliuses who are protesting who need to hear the gospel. There are Corneliuses who are burning down and tearing down, you know, tearing down statues and burning down buildings who need to hear the gospel. And there are Corneliuses who hate anybody other than their ethnicity who need to hear the gospel. There are people all over our nation that need to hear the gospel. And the only way, the only way we're going to be able to address the sin problem that plagues our world is if people hear the gospel.
So William Carey was convinced that God alone was the, and we're going to sing the song. The worship team can come up now. Um, he, he was convinced that God alone was the way maker, miracle maker, or miracle worker, promise keeper, light in the darkness, who alone, who alone can make dead bones live. We can't make dead bones live, but God wants to use us to preach over the valley of dead bones uh, as the means by which he will make dead bones live. I have, my hope for, for Cheyenne and for Wyoming is that we will, we will experience a season of dead, dry bones coming to life when people hear the gospel and believe it. There are Corneliuses in this city, and the question that I leave with you is, who, who's going to go? Who's going to go? All of us are sent, but who's going to go? Are you expecting great things from God? Are you hoping to accomplish great things for God? Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for the gospel and its power to change lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Meadowbrook Church Podcast. For more information about our church, visit meadowbrook.org.